Welcome to Parallel Quest, the podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend and co-host, author and world traveler, Zach Butler. Zach, how are you doing today? I am doing great, man. Little tired, a little exhausted from the trip, but doing doing well, dude. Good. Yeah, understandably slow. So, uh, there's lots of traveling for you. Yeah. How, how much time did you actually spend in your vehicle, you think, over the last two weeks? Oh, man. I was thinking about that today on my way back to my house. So, let's see. I guess we'll go, we'll go through the road trip a little bit because this will help me figure out how much time. But from Ohio, not Ohio, from Pittsburgh to Indianapolis was four hours. Indy to St. Louis was four hours. So there's eight. St. Louis to Kansas City was another four. So we're up to 12. Kansas City to Denver was eight. So that's 20 hours. And then this weekend, probably another four and a half, three, so seven and a half hours. So 27, almost 30 hours in the car, man. Almost 30, 30 hours, hours of in time. the car. Whew. It's a lot of time in the car. Lots of time in the car. Yeah. Did you maybe get some good conversation in? Maybe some audio books? Any, anything good in the car you were able to yeah. get done? Yeah. So we... We started listening to The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, who is okay. a who's a an Italian author. Um I'm I'm gonna release this onto my Facebook page and probably maybe the Steel Lake Studio Facebook page, but I, I think I did I tell you about my my read around the world thing that I'm doing where I went on. You did, and, yeah. Okay, so this was off the Italian page. And my idea behind all this is also I'm going to post kind of a little review and maybe get some discussion going with friends of and fans of Steel Lake Studio. Um, but yeah, it's it was a good book. Unfortunately, even at one and a half time speed with <clears throat> probably 20 hours in the car, we did not finish the book. And we got to part three and about a few hours into it, but I still got wow. about five hours left of our book. But I think if we would have started it from the very beginning of our trip, we might have gotten it in. But we didn't start listening to the book until after Indianapolis. From Indianapolis okay. to Denver, we listened to the book. So we kind of lost the day there that I think would have helped us. But I'm a big fan of books in the car, man. I'm, I mm-hmm. love audiobooks. Unfortunately, my drive to work doesn't really allow me to listen to them. I've tried yeah. it. It's annoying because I only drive 10 minutes. I shouldn't be complaining mm-hmm. because I only drive 10 minutes. But when I want to listen to a book, it takes me months to listen to a book on tape because or Audible because yeah. it's only 10 minutes. But this yeah. time, I finally got to sit back, relax. And dude, the best thing about this book is it's very heavy in um, like liter- like literature, like critiques and mm-hmm. real heavy in the, like theology and debates on theology. So probably after every chapter, we would pause it and we just de- like debrief on what we heard, what we think's going on. Cause it's a murder mystery, 
But okay. it's also a murder mystery in the 1300s in Italy at this monastery. So there's a lot of political and theological happenings in the world. It takes place during the Great Papal Schism. Okay. So there's a lot of that going on. So it was a good book so far. Not done with it. Very interesting. But it was it was a great book to listen to with someone else because I didn't catch everything. And the guy I was driving with didn't always catch everything. So... Um, having us kind of debrief on everything was, was fun. It, it, nice. It, uh, produced some lively conversation. Oh, that's good. That's good. That always makes the trip a little better when you can have that passive entertainment coming in and then have like a discussion starter. Cause as great as it is to like have a good conversation on road trips, sometimes you just kind of, you run out of those creative juices on creating something to talk about, you know? Sometimes yeah. it's just like when you're in the car for 30 hours, you know, sometimes you just run out and it's like, oh mm-hmm. man, uh, so how's the uh, work going again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a nice fallback. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we would have had plenty of stuff to talk about, but this game sure. just that a little extra like new thing to talk about. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was a good nice. trip, long trip. I will say Kansas, I, I I will say this about Kansas. This was funny because we, we had stopped in Kansas city because our, our big thing on this trip was, and for those who don't know, I guess I should say why I was even driving out to Denver. I was helping our neighbors, our best friends in Pittsburgh move out to Denver. Um, they're starting their lives out there. And so a new, just a new life out there and we were helping him move out. So I was riding out in the truck and the ladies were flying out later. So that's why I had a big road trip this past week. But our big thing was we were going to stop in Indianapolis, St. Louis and Kansas city. And we were going to get the state food. That was our big thing. We wanted to get the, the signature state food. So in Mm -hmm. Indianapolis, we got, fried pork tenderloin sandwiches which were massive they were huge um really good i really enjoyed those it was a great way to kick off the trip then in st louis we got toasted ravioli which if anybody is listening to this from st louis i'm not hating on you i just want to say you gotta pick something else A, a toasted ravioli is literally a hot pocket it's a, oh, it's man. a tiny. Oh man, I feel like that's really pocket. gonna, that's I, really gonna make the Kansasites real gonna, mad. Uh, yeah, it's gonna really irk them a bit. But eating it, I was like, this is just a high end hot pocket. Holy, it was cow. delicious. I love hot Whoa. pockets. Not hating on it, but well, yeah, I thought it was gonna be something else. But the best one, the best dish we had. Oh. So good, so good. Kansas City, dude. We pull into this little diner in Kansas City. It's not a diner. I guess it was a restaurant in Kansas City. And we go and get Kansas City barbecue, dude. And I I have been to Texas. I've been to Texas. I've been to other, like, southern states that claim to have barbecue like they are known for barbecue they do it memphis right. tennessee memphis i've not been to memphis but i have been to nashville i've been to okay. uh oh man 
name a southern state, and I probably have eaten there because I Atlanta, Atlanta. I've eaten barbecue in Atlanta. I'm gonna say, man, Kansas City. You guys do it right. Wow, it was the best barbecue I have ever had. It was a bold statement. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And I mean, I got the rib. I got a rib. I got um. Oh, what do they call them? They were uh, brisket. I got brisket, a rib. There you go. There you oh, go. dude, I got to tell you, it was so, so good. But while we were sitting there eating our delicious Kansas City barbecue, we were talking mm-hmm. with the bartender, and the games were on, and we were just kind of talking. And our next day was going to take us from Kansas City to Denver. Okay. And so we were going to drive the entire width of Kansas. Mm. So we, I mean, I've never been to Kansas. <laughs> In my mind, I kind of had an idea of what Kansas was going to look like. Have you seen Dumb and Dumber? Yes. <laughs> That's what's going through my head right now. <laughs> Listen, so, so we're like, we know what we're going to get through, or we're going to go through. This is going to be interesting. Um. So we asked the bartender guy, we were like, hey, what is there to see along the way to Denver? We're going Denver. We're going from Kansas City to Denver. We know it's pretty flat out there. What's there to see? Is there anything to see along the way? And the guy turns to us. He's like, well, there's one spot that you can get off and you can see the curvature of the earth in the distance. Okay. And the guy I was with is like, so what you're telling me is that the thing to see in Kansas is nothing to see in Kansas because you can see so far that you can see the earth curve. And I got to tell you, man, I did not see that earth curve one time when we were out there. So maybe the flat earthers are on to something because man, I've been to Kansas now and I've looked across those fields, and I did not see a curve. There was nothing. Let me tell you, there is nothing. Oh, it is man. flat. Multiple times we were driving, and I, we'd look around, just look at each other. Man, there is literally nothing out here. Like you could just Dang. see for miles and miles and miles. I was shocked that I couldn't just see the mountains of Denver, like in the distance, <laughs> the whole way. That's how flat it was. So. Oh man, man that's crazy. Yeah. So it sounds like Kansas starts off with a bang with Kansas City. You get in Kansas City, you're having the world's best barbecue. You're mm. having a grand old time. You got the best football team in the world in Kansas City, and you're thinking, "Holy cow, this state's amazing." But as soon as you drive out of Kansas City, you're like, "Holy cow, nothing." The mo- yeah, the Nada. moment you drive a little west of Kansas City, the <laughs> <laughs> the earth starts flattening, flattening. And then, I mean, you are just driving. Now, is Kansas straight. Kansas City actually isn't that technically in Missouri? Half of it is, yeah. Okay, half of it's in Missouri, half of it's in Kansas. It okay. actually, fun fact is, St. Louis is also on the border. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's yeah. a border city as well. So Missouri is home to two border cities, where half <laughs> some of the city is on the other state, and the uh, part of it's in Missouri. So the two states fighting over the best know, real estate. There's nothing like, in the middle of Missouri. Hey, 
This is our land. No, it's it's our land. Fine, you have that half. We'll we'll take this half. (laughs) Which I mean, it's kind of a bummer that it's called Kansas City, though, because half of it's in Missouri. Yeah, and they own the the they lay claim to the the name of the city. But it was it was a cool city. I will say it was very confusing to drive through. And I live in Pittsburgh, so let me tell you that if I'm telling you that that city is like (laughs) multiple times we were cutting across lanes because we're like where the heck this makes no sense where are we which side of kansas city is is arrowhead stadium on who gets the chiefs Ooh, that is a good question we did not drive past that we drove past okay. the royal stadium which right. is a very unique stadium man it's it's interesting it looks more like an amphitheater than a like a baseball a traditional baseball stadium it's right off the highway so you can see all the almost all the way down to home plate from where we were driving nice. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Royal Stadium, not a home run ballpark, right? Long stadium, right? Long, yes. Yeah. Long center field, like Big. 420 feet, something like that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's not field. a home run friendly stadium. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, because the Royals suck for so long. They're like, hey, we're going to, no one's going <laughs> to show up here and score on us. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do it. No one will. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. That's but, funny. Yeah, it was a good trip, dude. I, it was fun to get all the way out to Denver. I love Colorado. Big fan. Got to go skiing a few days out there. Made the most of the trip. Got our friends settled in. Hope they're going to do, they are going to do great. They're, they got a beautiful house out there. Great area that they're in so it was a good all-around trip my man and then topped it off with a mountain weekend so i am i'm ready for my own bed i'll say that there you go (laughs) i was was driving back today i was like i'm dragging a little bit so sounds like you earned it my friend you earned a good night's sleep but it also sounds like you were on a little bit of a, a hunt yourself man a little bit of an adventure yourself or well yeah i was while I didn't spend 30 hours in the car, I felt like I spent 30 hours looking for one item. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, first of all, it's an item that no one no one really ever wants to leave the grocery store with. Like there there are certain things that are like you put your hood up and walk out the walk out the grocery store with, right? Certain food items. You know, and that's typically like the really processed garbage stuff. Every once in a while I'll sneak into the grocery store, get myself like a bag of pizza rolls and sneak out of there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> And and so what I needed to get was was actually one of those food items, right? It's for a recipe. It's actually not not that embarrassing, right? But they kind of make you ashamed of buying it because they stick it in a section of the store that's not normal. They stick it in the section of the store with all like the other processed food junk, which is basically <laughs> like, hey, if you buy this, you're you're definitely signing your death certificate, right? <laughs> and so first of all, I I am no fan of taking my kids with me to the grocery store. No fan of it. I know some people look at it as like this quality time with your kids. And for (laughs) me, it's like I I can have quality time with my kids and go on a walk around the neighborhood, go outside, throw the football around, something Mm -hmm. like that. Like that is what I consider to be quality time with the kids. Like going to the grocery store or the store in general typically is like, fending off your children and telling them all the things that they're not allowed to buy in the store. <laughs> that's that's typically the way it goes, and that's the way a lot of kids are. I was like that as a kid. I remember just like going to the store with my parents and being like, hey, can I get this? Mm-mm, not today. Hey, can I get this? Mm, not today. <laughs> and, and, but you try. You just keep trying, right? And so anyway, 
I'm on this hunt to get Velveeta cheese, like the loaf of Velveeta cheese, right? And it's it's weird when you're talking about cheese in general coming in a loaf. But hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. So anyway, big big football game yesterday here for us us hey, Cleveland Knights, uh, right? So so my wife and I decide like, hey, you know, we don't know how long this run's gonna last. Let's have fun. Let's make all the foods. Let's just have a blast with the family. I had my buddy Josh over. So it was a good time, right? However, in order to make the coveted you know, cheese dip that is so good with with the uh, with the Fritos scoops and the Tostitos. Mm. You need to find yourself some Velveeta cheese loves. So anyway, I needed to go to Target for some stuff, and I'm like, hey, they got groceries at Target, so I'll just check it out here. Would you believe it? They're all out of the Velveeta cheese loaves at Target. Like, and, and at Target, it was in a spot that made sense. It was right by the dairy products, right? Because you think. Cheese, dairy, right? Cheese, dairy. Makes sense. So anyway, it's not a target. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a real bummer. And at this point, I'm debating, hey, do I just drop the things that I got off at home and drop my son off so that I can, like, sprint around the store? Because I'm terrible at finding things in the grocery store. I don't know about you, Zach, but if it's not an item that is, like, on my you know, list of memorized mm-hmm. items that I just always get. I am just so bad at finding things in a grocery store. Like if if you tell me to go to the grocery store and get some type of special something, I'll be gone for an hour, maybe two. Like <laughs> get back and, and, you know, wondering like, hey, did you get stuck in like World War Three or something out there? And my answer would be like pretty close. Pretty, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was a journey. I do. Um, I feel the same way, man. <laughs> Like I, anytime you go, and this happens all the time when I got to go to a store that I've never been in or like don't frequent often. I do this with giant Eagle a lot because I don't shop there. And so every time I go in there and it's so big dude. And I just, I get lost. I just, I'm like, how are there this many options for food items? Like I, I feel you, man. I get, I get lost in there. It's like walking into a, like a maze for me. I know. And now, like, in the grocery store, they have it to where you can only go one way down the aisles, so it takes takes twice as long to just move around the store. Ah, uh, you, you're one of those that follows those little signs? Uh, yeah, man, some lady called me out for it one time. <laughs> like, yeah, out out here out here in the suburbs here, we got all, we got the hoity-toity types, like, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're supposed to be going that way, you know? It's like, oh, come on, I got a mask on, we're socially distanced, my goodness, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back off, lady, I'm just trying to fight <laughs> the Velveeta. <laughs> just, yeah, just tell me where the loaves of cheese are, yeah. okay? <laughs> So anyway, I, I, I couldn't get it at Target, so I had to stop at another grocery store. Wouldn't you believe it? Second grocery stop, Mark's, right? Always reliable. Gone. Oh. Not there either. It's like, oh, come on. No, I would have no, given up. Can, I would have been like, we're Marks, not you can, Marks, you can navigate pretty quick, get in and out. And then I have to go across the street to the big one, the giant eagle. The one that I try to avoid at all costs because I knew with game time being in two hours that it was going to be an absolute madhouse in there. (laughs) Sure enough, brown and orange clad fans everywhere trying to get their last minute party favors for this game, which you're probably not supposed to be hanging out with people and watching, but we all were. (laughs) And... (laughs) 
And so, so like, first of all, the store is packed. My son is still with me, like, Dad, where's the Velveeta? And he's saying it, like, every five seconds, like, screaming it in the store. Dad, you still can't find the cheese? It's like, no, I can't find the cheese. And, like, it's like, you're, you know, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed here. And so, first thing I do, right, I go to the dairy section. I look at, I, I look at every single item that is dairy product, every single thing that is cheese and I'm like where the heck is this There's nowhere to be found right like you would think that Velveeta cheese would be with the cheese mm-hmm. no and I look up and down this thing like a ton of times I, I'm going up and down like four times people probably think I'm some type of crazy person like I'm trying to plan something bad or something that's what I, that's what's going through my head at that mm-hmm. moment time. people yep. probably think I'm a bad guy or something because I'm just chilling in the same Dude, spot I think the same for- <laughs> For a long period of time, I think the same thing. When I kind of walk up and down the same aisle, <laughs> right? Like sometimes I just give up and I'm like, "Well, I'm just not going to get that today because I don't want to look too weird." <laughs> like you know, the security cameras are watching you. Like, what's this guy trying yeah, to pull exactly. right Some now? Guy at the back, I'm like, this guy's been down the same aisle like four times. What is he doing? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just a typical man in a grocery oh, store. Dumb. Okay, I don't know where just... this thing is. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Even though I've been doing this for for years now, I still can't figure it out, right? (laughs) So anyway, I give up. You know, I give up and I go out to my car and and I admit I admit defeat. And then I do what any good person does that needs to find themselves something in a grocery store, pull out the phone, do a quick Google search. (laughs) What what section of a grocery store? (laughs) Dude, yeah. Because I had already bought all the other items for the cheese dip. And so without the cheese, all these items I bought are rendered useless. Like this isn't like stuff that I'm going to be using anytime soon, right? Like the diced spicy tomatoes and all of that. Like there are recipes you can use them for, but not our typical staples. And like I got two Mm -hmm. pounds of pork sausage, which sure you can make with breakfast, but that's a lot of pork sausage you know and so so i'm like no i gotta get this cheese so sure enough uh you know i look it up and said some grocery stores put it by where the like the cheese whiz is you know that spray stuff in the can the stuff that if you buy it you know you're oh, you're going man. through some serious times right they're like, just shaming you at that point like, putting it right next to that cheese whiz they're like, just shaming you dude that's the depression sauce yeah. as i like to call yeah. it you know you're like just, really you're gonna buy some Velveeta when it's sitting next to this <laughs> Hey, man, there's nothing like showing up at the grocery store dressed in a sweatsuit and checking out with a box of Ritz crackers and cheese whiz, man. <laughs> just, you just make some eye contact with the with the store clerk, and it's like, yeah, man, I yeah. just lost my job today. Don't ask questions. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I went there. Not there. Not the cheese whiz there. No Velveeta. I'm like, what the heck? Where is this stuff? And then I think to myself, I'm like, wait a minute. You would use the stuff to make like nachos. So go over to the Mexican food. First first go through, first scan through, no uh, luck. No. no luck on the first scan through. But then I decide to look at the top shelf. And sure enough, a couple of boxes had been mm-hmm. taken and creeping up there on the top shelf. Because not only 
do they want you to not really buy this stuff? They also want you to reach up in front of everybody so everyone can see you grabbing the, <laughs> the that, depression cheese. A little bit of that and, gut <laughs> pop out, too, while you right. reach for that milk <laughs> And so that was my journey to get the liquid gold Velveeta cheese so that we could have cheese dip. And, and I had... I had like a, a decent sized serving of it with my with my chips, and after that, I was like, "Man, this is some thick stuff." I was like full, <laughs> and there is just a huge pot of it in my fridge right now that is just really intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man, dude. dude! I I have had similar adventures trying to look for very specific because it's always those really off the wall, very specific things that recipes call for. Where you think to yourself in the grocery store, do they even, do they even make that? Like you're, <laughs> I, where, where would they even keep that? Like to be a grocery store and to go through your inventory and go, okay, we need this, we need this, and then the one random item where where it's like, well, you know, maybe someone will come in and want to make this or some some nacho cheese, so let's. Let's put the Velveeta on there, but like, you don't make it too yeah. obvious because yeah, <laughs> gotta right. gotta make them work for it. But hey, work it's nice it. that they put it on the top shelf because come on, that's some that's some top shelf processed top shelf cheese. Processed. Not even in a refrigerator, not just sitting out like <laughs> just out in the open. Yeah, dude, that's that's the thing about it. At least at Target, they like sneak it in in the uh, in the refrigerated aisle, right, so you don't you feel, feel so bad better. about it. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's basically regular cheese. It's like no giant eagle. It's gonna make you work for it. Giant eagle's like, yeah, this is this cheese is so cheese it can just sit on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna waste refrigeration space with this. Not not only is it not really cheese, we're gonna embarrass you a little bit. We're gonna call it a cheese loaf on top of this. <laughs> yeah, a loaf. Not even a block. We can't even call it a block of cheese. No. We're calling this thing a loaf, <laughs> a loaf of cheese. It's got the consistency and the texture <laughs> of a loaf of bread. <laughs> so anyway, that's my story from the week of trying to trying to get uh, get in on the liquid gold rush <laughs> of Velveeta cheese. Oh man, yeah, you really went after that at the most inopportune time. Right I you know my time. my timing was terrible. Couldn't have been worse. I was supposed to go Saturday night, but I was I was feeling I was feeling like not going anywhere and so I was like I'll yeah. just get up Sunday morning and go. Yeah. Terrible choice. No. <laughs> Instant regret. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, uh, that's funny. All right guys, well today our main topic is Great Gatsby, and we'll be getting to that in a little bit. But before we do, we're going to head into our Steel Lake Studio news, and then we're going to be doing a segment called Brought to Tears. But on the news side of things, I don't have much of an update for you guys, uh, just only that I have mentioned the Haggard Odyssey is going to get back up and running. I was just explaining to Zach earlier that I have re-recorded the first episode of 2021 a couple times. You know, the world can't decide what it wants to be right now. So I've had to do a couple re-records and have decided that this next one I'm going to record, I'm going to stick with and go with it. Going to be talking about why being a fan is amazing. My story about how I became a fan of the Cleveland Browns. And I think you guys will think it's pretty funny. But that's just news for me, man. How about you? <clears throat> yeah, so I have the 
second installment of the Terror Town series coming out. Um, something strange at Grandma's house. It will be coming out soon. We're looking for or towards a February release date. I will get you guys that release date next episode. I promise because I just got the final cover back for the second book so that's all good to go just some editing things need to be done and then we'll have that out to you so something strange at grandma's house will be available here soon um i don't know about any pre-orders at the moment because i'm still trying to figure that out so Mm -hmm. uh just look for it in our newsletter coming out next month as well as tuning in next week to get some more details on that so that is all i have for you guys at the moment all right. And as always, the best place to stay updated on all things podcasts, books, and other creative things we're doing, steelakestudio.com is the place to go. You know, we put this effort into making, you know, our website, steelakestudio.com, so that we don't have to say, you know, youtube.com slash steelakestudio or facebook.com slash steelakestudio. You just go to steelakestudio.com. You can get to all those avenues through there. Easiest way to do it. Makes it easy to say in one good, good, like website you head over there you can get on our newsletter and get any and everything steel lake studio that you would like and we'd love for you to interact with us over there as well so that's our segment for the news and and before we get started here talking about great gatsby i was thinking i was i wanted to get a little bit tender here as as we go into gatsby because gatsby is a bit of a sad story and it makes me a little sad and it's it's a sad story to me because it's tragic, right? The mm. the person who you grow to love and respect and really root for doesn't necessarily get what he wants in the end. And so I was thinking, I, I was a little emotional preparing the notes for this episode. And I, it could be because the Cleveland Browns yesterday just came up just short we were we were in the midst of watching a historical story unfold that would have been completely amazing and and you felt like it was within reach and then the football gods just gave Chad Henney the the speed of Hermes and he was just boom you know ruining your day yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh. and and anyway, as as a, as a Browns fan, I was sad. And so I was like, you know what? Let's be vulnerable today with our audience. Let's talk about stories or moments in stories, whether it's a book, a movie, short story, television show, that, that got us a little choked up, uh, brought us to tears a little bit. And Zach, I'm going to have you go first. What is a story that's gotten you a little choked up? And you, you just didn't see it coming, like... I know for me, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoic when it comes to viewing entertainment. But sometimes I'm caught by surprise by, by what movies and books can do to me. Oh man! Well, the one that has made me cry like a little baby watching—I haven't read it, but I really want to get around to doing it. But the Green Mile, dude, getting into that movie, Tom Hanks, Michael Clark. Duncan, I believe, was the main mm-hmm. character or one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think man. it's Douglas. Douglas. Michael Clark Douglas. Michael Clark yeah. Douglas, yes. Oh, boy. So this one, I kind of, after the first 20 minutes of this movie, knew I was in for a ride. Um, mm-hmm. It is a sad, sad, but at the same time, 
hopeful story. It's a Stephen King. I know I talk about Stephen King all the time on this podcast. Our listeners are probably like, does this guy read anything else? Uh, sometimes I do, but for the most part, Stephen King. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but the Green Mile is a major departure from normal Stephen. Wow. It's been a couple weeks. It's hard to talk. The Green Mile is a departure from a normal Stephen King novel. Um, it is not so much horror. It's not even so much sci-fi or any. It's just a drama. Stephen King just, it's got some like uh, supernatural elements to it because at the end of the day, it's still Stephen King. But it is at its core a drama about a man who is put on death row who is kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And through his interactions with other characters, especially the head guy, the head jailer at this um, institution, he starts to show them maybe he's not actually a bad guy and he's got a little more to him than meets the eye. And, but dude, I don't want to ruin it, but there's a part in it. Um, towards the end where he's because he's on death row so like let's be honest everybody he's not going to get off death row in the 50s or 40s whenever this time period is so he's going Mm -hmm. to die you kind of know that the whole time but he talks to the head jailer tom hanks's character at the end and he's telling him um just about don't put me in the dark because at the end he got up he's got to put i'm just going to tell you because i can't say this part which actually makes me cry without telling you the end so spoiler alert sorry but he's they got to put like a little sack over his head back in the day when they electrocuted you because that's how they killed you on death row um back in the day and everybody else the jailer puts tom hanks's character puts the bag over their head or the sack over their head but with John Coffey, who's the main character, mm-hmm. he John Coffey is saying, "Don't put me in the dark. Uh, I don't. I'm afraid of the dark. Just let me like do this so I can see you guys." And dude, I don't know why, but that part got me good. It's just mm. the whole time because you know he's a good guy and he's helped people, he's healed people because he's got this supernatural power. And he's just done so much good and you, you're watching, you know, this innocent guy dying and, oh, dude, it, it got me so good. I cried a lot in that movie, but that part in particular really gets me. Mm. Um, so if you guys haven't seen the Green Mile, sorry, I just spoiled it, but go and watch it. It is a powerful movie. That's yeah. the only way I can describe it. It is very powerful. Talks a lot on the issues of racism talks a lot of on the issues of what is innocent, what is not um, redemption, big redemption themes. So it's a, it's a great movie, man. Have you seen the green mile? I have not. I, I've not seen it. Oh, I've sorry. Seen, I just spoiled seen, it for you. No, that's okay. I, I knew how it ended. I think that's like one of those things that I want to say, I mean, this might be off, but I feel like I, I, <laughs> I, I saw a pastor do a sermon where they used the final scene of the Green Mile as an illustration. They didn't like show the execution, but you know, yeah, they, they talked about this and and kind of then explain what happened next. And I feel like I just knew this. Yeah, but. 
I mean, it's got some heavy theological themes because yeah. the question, you never really find out why John Coffey can do the things he does and where he's mm-hmm. come from and everything. But the Tom Hanks character alludes to the fact that maybe he's an angel and mm-hmm. that's a big point of contention for him because he starts questioning like, well, what happens on judgment day when I stand before God and I got to tell him like, well, I killed one of your angels because you know, I'm just doing my job down here. He's like, yeah. I, I just like all he's got these questions that he wrestles, wrestles very heavily with. And so, yeah, I can definitely see a pastor kind of running with that because I think yeah. Stephen King made that intentional. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I want to say that's where I experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's something I should get on. I should watch that. I know that's a classic. Like that was yeah. that was one of those types of movies that when it came out, it was an instant classic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, which is kind of a rare thing to say for a Stephen King book to mm-hmm. movie like yeah. ad- adaptation because Stephen King does not he does really well with books but for some reason his movies or adaptations are just always awful. It's very rare mm-hmm. to find a good Stephen King adaptation. Mm. Yeah. So. I wonder what I wonder why that one did well. Maybe just had the right the right team behind it making yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah. All right. What about you, man? What what got well, you Well, this move this scene from this movie is actually a scene that now I kind of laugh at, which I feel bad about, but <laughs> that, you know, in the first time I saw this and then one time in particular I watched, it got me real hard. Um, so it's the movie Friday night lights and it's the scene when Booby miles finds out he, he's not going to be, he's not going to be playing football anymore for, yeah. for the season. Uh, after he basically he tries playing with a with a minorly torn ACL, mm. goes out, gets it hit again, tears every ligament in his knee, and then you know he's in the car with his uncle and he's crying, saying like I can't do nothing else but play football. Yeah. I can't do nothing else. And the first time I saw that man, that that really really choked me up because mm. because there is something about you know, watching and like, this is based on a true story and hearing about somebody's hopes and dreams, just being swept out from under them, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when this is what they thought was the real deal. And when it really got me is this was probably a bad decision, but when I was a senior in high school, I suffered a bad injury. And, um, so after I had to get surgery on my leg, and so I missed like a whole week of school. I missed homecoming. I missed like all these things because, you know, mm-hmm. I got surgery and I was all doped up on drugs and stuff. Um, like, like in medical drugs, <laughs> you know, guys. <laughs> just, I just, but, <laughs> but I was on, I was on some pretty heavy painkillers. Um, and so I decided to, you know, sit at home and sit in my room and watch like 50 movies over the course of like 10 days. And I decided to pop in Friday Night Lights. It's my favorite. It's my favorite football movie of all time. But mm. as I'm sitting there, you know, all wrapped up in cast, can't walk or anything. And this scene is playing. I'm just sitting in my room, just self-loathing. Like, just, just like, feeling bad for myself. Play football. <laughs> I wasn't even that good, but <laughs> I feel like this is all I had. <laughs> oh. 
But at that moment in time, I could totally relate because a season-ending injury, I can say this, and like maybe if you are a sports fan, next time you see a player get hurt, think about this. Like, You go out on the field, and every time you go out and play, no matter what the sport is, maybe basketball, the court, you never think you're going to get hurt. You think you're invincible. And then when it happens, mm. boom. Mm-hmm. Reality sets in real quick, you know? Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, like... That's scene, but now I kind of watch it, and it's like this is kind of funny because just some of the faces he's making while he's crying. Like this guy's a really good actor, really ugly crier, and just (laughs) (laughs) movie miles. Oh man, you and and, you know here's the thing I was gonna ask you about, kind of on on the topic of being brought to tears. What do you think about movies that are just intentional tear jerkers? What do you think about that? Uh, I avoid them at all costs, man. <laughs> I don't go and yeah. see those kind of movies because I don't want to feel anything. No, I just, I, they're not for me. I just, I don't want to, I think one of the last movies I cried in or teared up in, I didn't cry. I don't, I don't cry. Uh, I, I teared <laughs> up in, um, my wife and I, Lee and I watched, uh, the wedding story, I think was the movie it it had um adam driver and scarlett johansson in it and Mm -hmm. it was just a thing called marriage or marriage story yeah sorry marriage story and it was just a very real depiction of a divorce like not a Mm -hmm. hollywood divorce not a even a hollywood movie depiction of a divorce it was very just watching i'm like this is probably what it's like it just it starts out as just you get you growing apart and then lawyers get involved and then the lawyers just want money so then it gets messy even though it never intended to be and just at the end i i was tearing up and like leah mm-hmm. was crying too sorry babe but <laughs> we were both crying <laughs> and it was just, i don't like those kind of movies man i just i want to i want to I'm one of those guys that when I watch a movie or I read even a book, I want to just like take a break. I want to escape for a little bit. I want to go and I want to have fun and yeah, I'll take some, some tender moments, but I'm a star Wars guy. Like I don't want (laughs) to really cry unless it's a beautiful moment. But if it's a tearjerker where it's supposed to be sad, like, Dude, life's life's tough, man. Life's tough enough for a lot of people. I don't want to go to the movie and just experience that. I want to go. I want to watch Power Rangers and I want to escape. And I and there's nothing against, by the way, people who enjoy tearjerker movies. Like, good on you. You are stronger than I am. I cannot. I won't watch them. Mm. But for me, for my personal taste, I enjoy movies that have a lot more action a lot more and i like i like deep movies like i like um like lord of the rings lord of the rings has very tender powerful moments that i will tear up at even though they're not meant to be sad but they just stir that emotion in you that makes you just like you feel it in your chest and like you feel that lump forming in the back of your throat and i I tear up a little bit sometimes but if it's an intentional like a Manchester by the sea kind of movie. That's just, mm-hmm. you're, he's just going to be sad the whole time. And you're just mm-hmm. going to cry the whole time. 
I can't do it. So, mm. yeah, that is that is where I stand on tear jerkers. Yeah. But what about you? Do you enjoy them? I I don't I don't necessarily enjoy them because I don't I don't really like to I don't really like to be brought to tears while I'm trying to watch something. <laughs> but at the same time, I also get sucked into them. Like like I won't I won't voluntarily just sit down and pick out a tearjerker if I know it is one. But if I'm sucked into one, I get sucked into one. Mm. So a little bit ago we watched this movie. It's on Disney Plus. It's like a Disney original or whatever. I think it's called Clouds or like Up in the Clouds or something. It's about this kid. It's a true story, which these are the worst. These are the worst. And 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 here's why I say it's the worst, because it's like you have to wrestle with the fact like, oh man, this really happened. And, yeah. and I also think it, it makes it harder to be objective on whether or not a movie's good because you kind of want to be like, ah, movie wasn't that good. But man, that really happened. So how do you knock it? You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's about a kid who has terminal cancer and he Ugh. creates and he writes a song that's like this huge YouTube sensation has this huge concert. He becomes like pretty famous within like his senior year and it's the last year he's alive. And there's just so many moments in the movie as you're watching this kid constantly get beat by cancer that you're like, this is terrible. (laughs) Like this is, why are you doing this to me? You know? And, and like the whole time and, You'll you'll notice you'll notice this like if if you become a parent you automatically start viewing every scenario mm. as if you were a parent because um, then you're thinking about you know this kid's seventeen he died like what if this happened to one of your kids like uh. and so all the emotions just start flooding in and it's like oh man why are we doing this to ourselves but it's a great it's a it's a great story you know he raised a bunch of money for charity and for research on the particular type of cancer he had. I can't remember what it was. I think it's a, like a spinal cancer. Um, mm. I can't remember 100%, but I think it was a, a spinal cancer or, or something. I can't remember 100%. Um, mm. I wish I could. But good good story, hard movie to get through. I recommend, I recommend the documentary over the movie. Um, because while the documentary is sad, you also attach with the real people. Are more. they the same and name, or is it? No, no the 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 documentary is different. It's okay. on YouTube. I'll, I'll I'll figure out what it is, and I can tell the audience next episode. But Got it. you know, that was the last tearjerker I watched, and Oof. I was like, man, this that is rough. And then and then I did. You know, I watched this movie the other week with my wife, and and I was I was not happy with this. You know, they're trying to make this movie. They're playing it up as it's like this teenage romance type of movie. And then in the third act, they break it to you that the 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 main lead male in the movie has a serious mental illness, and then he ends up taking his life at the end of the movie. And I'm like. What? 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 This is not the direction that the movie was going. Like, like this movie was trying to set itself up of two broken people coming together and then maybe fixing each other. And then in the third act, like, he commits suicide. It's like, no! This is... Not in fiction, okay? I can understand if you're if you're doing, like, non-fiction. Not in fiction. Don't do that to me. Oh. Which... Which is a decent segue into our main topic. (laughs) 
uh, a story that really sweeps the rug out from under you mm. and uh, and and makes you hate a guy named Tom a whole lot, <laughs> um, The Great Gatsby. Today, we are talking about The Great Gatsby, one of the greatest American novels ever written, mm-hmm. and we will share our opinions on that tagline of it. But The Great Gatsby, uh, before we get started, when you think of The Great Gatsby, Zach, what are a couple things that come to mind right away? I think of unbelievable parties. I think Mm -hmm. of opulence that I will never see (laughs) or experience, Mm -hmm. probably. Um, I I think of what life was probably like for the robber barons of New York back in the twenties, man, because I mean, this was set in the jazz age, the, the roaring twenties. Um, I think, yeah, I, I also think of Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) So (laughs) he he brings the, I think he plays a pretty good Jay Gatsby to be honest. I know he was the guy to cast as Jay Gatsby, in my opinion, in my opinion. But but yeah, those are just some things. Just yeah, those are what that's what I think of when I think of the great Gatsby. Good. I like that. Um, Something I will say uh, as we go into the great Gatsby is quick plot introduction i'm not going to do a deep dive into the plot because what will end up happening is i'll i'll go through the plot and then i'll want to deconstruct the story and and it'll just be really really long because this is this is a book a story i love to talk about yeah um i think that's why they teach it at a high school level because there's so much to examine so much to talk about Mm -hmm. so basically Plot overview, a a young man by the name of Nick Carraway, he moves into a small little home for the summer on a place called West Egg. Uh, or is he West Egg or East Egg? I think he's, he's West East Egg. Egg, right? He's East Egg? Oh, he's, uh, he's on one of these Long Island yuppie places, but he does not live in a nice in a nice little place. He's just in a little tiny place, like a little... little uh, summer vacation home, cabana type of deal. Um, and and he is in close proximity to his cousin, Daisy. And oh, I so had that he's... backwards, sorry. I just wanted to pause you there. Daisy lives on East Egg. Okay, yeah, Daisy's, Daisy's East Egg, because East Egg is the old money. West Egg yes. is kind of like the new money slash affordable housing. Yes. <laughs> and... <clears throat> And so Nick's over on West Egg, which Gatsby's on West Egg, right? Correct. And so he goes there for the summer, and he gets invitate he he gets this surprise invitation by um, Jay Gatsby to come to one of these lavish parties, and and so it's basically this story of summer love romance about how Gatsby tries to use Nick in order to get him connected with Daisy and Jay and Daisy have this romance and her husband Tom is kind of trying to catch on to it he himself is kind of a scumbag having an affair with his wife and and then Nick Carraway is trying to have this romance with Jordan what's her last name Jordan 
She's a professional golfer. That's what yeah. I remember. Her name is Jordan. She's a professional golfer. I cannot remember her last name. Brown hair. That's what I remember. Brown hair. She's got a bob cut. She's like the typical flapper, right? Uh-huh. And it, it never gets off the ground, but it's this this story of this lavish lifestyle that Nick Carraway is not used to, but is immediately thrown into. And it's basically his observations being a kind of... a a wallflower type of character mm-hmm. in this story, a little bit more involved, but you can see a lot of how, you know, he is this more of a passive character in the story, viewing everything before him with, you know, sharing his own viewpoints and his own actions, but seeing this crazy grand adventure of romance and affair that happens um, over this, this summer that he is, on West Egg, and so from here going forward, if you haven't read Great Gatsby, seen a movie or anything like that, as we discuss this, I, I feel like the best way to discuss it is just to discuss it in a fashion where anyone's okay with spoilers, because it's a really old story, and really the only way to talk about it and do it much justice is to talk about how it all ends, and so we are definitely going to have spoilers in here. Yeah. Um, so that, as a warning, if you don't want spoilers, get this book, go read it, uh, get the audiobook, whatever. You can read it really quick. It's not very long, um, and it's also very good. And if you haven't read this book, you are you are in for a treat. Um, but before we get into the story elements of it, let's talk about the storyteller a little bit. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Francis Scott Fitzgerald, a writer who didn't live a very long life. Did you know that, Zach, that he died young? Yes, I did know that. Yeah, so he he really kind of, he, he passed away when he was in the prime of his career. Mm-hmm. Medical Medical says it was a heart attack. Um, he and his wife were just having an afternoon and he had got up to take a bite of a candy bar, grabbed his chest, stood up and taken to the hospital. He was pronounced dead from a heart attack. Hmm. Uh, it is said that he was, uh, he liked the drink a little bit. Um, maybe that contributed. I don't know. But in F. Scott Fitzgerald's storytelling, he focused all of his writing on the lifestyle during the 1920s and early 30s, which he referred to as the Jazz Age. Mm. Um, And from my research, it is said that he coined that term, the Jazz Age. And and so he was influenced by American storytellers such as Er Ernest Hemingway and his writing Mm. style. F. Scott Fitzgerald, this is something I wanted to talk to you about, was a Princeton graduate, which I personally found to be interesting because Nick and Tom were Yale grads. And so was F. Scott Fitzgerald's portrayal of Tom in the book being just a dirty old money scumbag, him sharing what he thought about Yale graduates? What do you think about that, Zach? Hmm. That's interesting, man, because, yeah, maybe he didn't have a good time uh at Yale he he was a Yale grad right Princeton he was Princeton Princeton yeah so Fitzgerald so was a Princeton grad and he yeah. went and made uh made Nick and Tom a Yale grad mm-hmm. huh that is interesting I you know who else was now this is gonna get a little bit off topic but a Yale grad was a guy by the name of Robert 
Mose or Moses, sorry, who basically he's the guy that is literally the reason why New York City is New York City. Um, oh, and it, okay. he he's responsible for building pretty much every parkway, bridge, highway, freeway, actual park in New York City during the twenties. So I wonder if uh, if that also had some influence on that because he would have ah. been building a lot of this during that time, and he was a Yale grad as well. But okay. yeah, I I wonder why. Uh, yeah, so I, I would I would think that maybe he has taken a little bit of a, a shot at Yale with Tom being yeah being the way he is because <laughs> Tom is certainly <laughs> a uh, an outgoing character. We'll say sure. And you know, one thing I will point out, as I think I'm going, I'm stretching it a little bit here. My guess is, you know, from from the research, and we'll talk about this as we get into the, the main historical tidbits, is that Fitzgerald used some of his own life to, to write Gatsby, some of his own life inspiration. And so maybe to just cause a little bit of distance between the narrator and and himself, hmm. he made him Yale grads instead of Princeton grads so that people wouldn't be like, oh, you're just putting yourself into the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you think, especially- you think he, Nick is F. Scott? You think that's more of who he is? No, I don't. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't, and we'll talk about that in a second here. Okay. I want to get through a little bit of F. Scott Fitzgerald's history because I think, I, I think that he writes himself into the story through two people. Okay. Um, and, and so here we have, uh, uh, Gatsby and Benjamin Button are F. Scott Fitzgerald's most well-known work. So he wrote Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a book that you can read faster than you can watch the movie, <laughs> and The Great Gatsby, which most people are probably going to know, pro- you know, probably because of their Hollywood counterparts and-, and the fact that we have to study Gatsby in school is why most people know these stories. However, if you look at his bibliography, my guess is most people will have at least heard the titles of about all of these novels or short stories Mm. so a novel is this side of paradise curious case of benjamin button is a novella the beautiful and the damned is a novel Mm. the diamond as big as the ritz is a novel winter dreams a short story great gatsby novel babylon revisited short story and then tender is the night is another novel and and i would say that maybe you don't know that they're books but everyone's heard the phrases the beautiful and the damned and tender is the night Mm -hmm. um and you know whether those were catchphrases when he wrote the book or not um you know those are things that we discuss at least in our literature classes but uh the books um didn't read them but talked about them so anyway, uh, also one thing we got to point out is Fitzgerald, like many many of the classics we have, I think as we go through classics, we'll find that most authors did not reap the benefits of their work, which is really sad. Mm. Um, he did not reap all the benefits of 
Gatsby's success, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a couple points, uh, because the work really didn't get taken off the ground until the 1950s when Great Gatsby had a serious resurgence, starting with distribution of it to soldiers overseas during World War II, but he never really saw the great benefits that Gatsby was to bring Mm. in his lifetime. Uh, because he died of a heart attack at the age of 44. Sad. Aw. Um, that is young. So here's some historical tidbits for everybody here. Historical tidbits, Zach. Gatsby at its core is a story that provides a social commentary of the lifestyle of flamboyance post-World War One, which was taking place during the Prohibition era. Mm. So I'm going to ask you, Zach, how much do you know about Prohibition? Ooh, let's see. Well, it was an age that you couldn't drink, but that is also the age where speakeasies started to become a thing where you could secretly go into these hole-in-the-wall places, sometimes even behind walls in bars or jazz clubs or Mm -hmm. what have you to drink your alcohol. I know that the mafia had a lot to do with the distribution of illegal alcohol. And I think mm-hmm. they had something to do also with like prohibition era ending as well, but I'm not too certain on that last one. That's about I'm it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not too certain on how much influence they had on the prohibition ending. I do know that mafia and organized crime basically came to power because of prohibition right these these people who were bootlegging certain types of goods to undercut the market before all of a sudden were given gold yeah. in the prohibition era right because you take away alcohol from the entire united states and you have bootleggers selling it all of a sudden you've made organized crime a hot commodity and and so you know prohibition is very much why you have the rise of guys like al capone right um and uh i can't remember the guy in new york i can't remember his name but uh even one of the characters in in gatsby's based off of him uh i think wolf uh wolf something i can't remember i don't know um but Anyway, the the uh, prohibition era, right? Alcohol is illegal for distribution, and this this story in particular assumes that you know that that's when this takes place, right? Like, yeah. you are not you are not given any back history on what a bootlegger is. You are not given any backstory on what prohibition does. Like mm-hmm. Nick Carraway as the narrator doesn't really go into that. He just assumes that you know that because this is being written during I think this was written nineteen twenty four, nineteen twenty six, something like that. So people would have been intimately familiar with prohibition i'm not sure if it was still going on when gatsby was published but it was definitely something that was in the recent past if it wasn't still uh full-blown active Hmm. and so that's something i think if you're going to get all that you can out of the great gatsby i think it's important to at least know that there was a time where the distribution, the sale, and the consumption of alcohol was illegal in the United States. And and 
that gave organized crime a huge a huge boost it also that is also a huge contributor in dirty politics like dirty politics were a huge thing during the prohibition era mm-hmm. um because while you weren't supposed to be caught drinking it still seemed like everybody was drinking yeah right and and so that's why that's why things uh that unfold here in in the great gatsby are are interesting mm. um and so I will say this here historically the romance between Daisy and Jay Gatsby is said to parallel an actual young romance that took place in Fitzgerald's life. He met a beautiful young girl. They were in love. He was no rich man. She came from a wealthy family. Her parents didn't think that that was going to work and so he was unable to marry the the girl of his dreams, ended up enlisting in the army, served, served in 1917, which means that he probably saw combat in World War One. which if you know Great Gatsby, you know that's nearly exactly what happened to Jay <laughs> Gatsby. Um, and so this is where I'll talk to you, Zach, and I'll be, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this, but um, F. Scott Fitzgerald in his social commentary has very much shows that he has a disdain for the rich and the dysfunctional. If you just look at it from the perspective of Nick Carraway. Mm -hmm. However, when he found success as a writer, he started to indulge in the lifestyles of the wealthy and the rich. And while he never wanted to live that lifestyle, the more, success that came his way it seemed like the more he did that even though great gatsby was no big success he was doing really well with his other works and my my interpretation of where fitzgerald might be writing himself into the story is maybe seeing his life a little bit like gatsby's but also kind of having an out-of-body experience from the perspective of nick carraway as he offers a commentary on his own life. Hmm. What do you think about that? Oh man. Yeah, I mean, you mentioning Gats or mentioning F Scott's history is basically Jay Gatsby's history. <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's literally the same thing that <laughs> happens in the book. So, I can definitely see a commentary maybe on himself of from the perspective of nick um of just what happens because maybe and i don't know much about his personal life um but maybe he didn't like what because you're you're right he did he had that disdain it's very clear from nick's perspective this disdain of of the rich and the dysfunctional and um just that opulent lifestyle that just seems so ridiculous to to Nick. So maybe once he did see success, it was kind of this commentary on himself of like, you're, you've become the thing that you once hated. Um, but at the same time, it's not that bad, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. even, I mean, for all that, Nick still goes to all the parties like mm-hmm. Nick still joins in and even dates people from the lifestyle that he doesn't like. So Mm -hmm. even Nick is kind of a hypocrite in this book, which we'll talk about 
I guess later, but just the characters in this book. Um, but I, I like I can see like Fitzgerald being a little self aware in that way. Of, yeah. Well, I am doing the thing I said I didn't like, but this is not that bad. So, yeah, I could I could see that. I can get on board with that, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just something I'm thinking about. This is what this is one of those things where there's never going to be an answer, right? Cuz mm-hmm. F Scott Fitzgerald's passed away, we'll never get an answer, but you know, when you've read something, I've read this book twice. I don't know how many times you've read it. Um, yeah. I've read it twice. My second read through was about 9 months ago. And I'll tell you what, like I enjoyed it way more mm. as a full-grown adult, and I also enjoyed it way more at least being familiar with the bones of the story. Yeah, um, and really being able to examine it. Mm. Um, but anyway, it's it's just one of those things where it's really easy to to analyze. There's just a lot there, um, and not like not easy that you're going to get all the right answers, but it's just easy to spend time thinking about like, Oh, you know, yeah. What's, what's, you know, you know, you, you like Nick, but at the same time he is actively contributing to his own cousins, Mm -hmm. you know, marital affair. Yeah. That's, it's pretty disturbing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And he's dating uh, Jordan. He's getting in there. He's getting all the gossip. Yeah. Help! He's kind of turning his back on his actual kind of friend Tom. So, like, yeah, it's all, it's yeah, nothing really, yeah, good comes of these people in this book. And I, yeah, it's 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 interesting that you kind of like Jay Gatsby. At least for me, for me, I loved Jay Gatsby when I read this book mm-hmm. in high school for the first time. I loved Jay Gatsby. I loved his character. Mm-hmm. I thought he was fighting for the right thing. It's like, this is the girl you love. You go after her. And mm-hmm. then as you get older, you're like, ah, she's married though. And like, you're kind of fake in a lot of ways. And I, you just start to realize mm-hmm. more and more things. And so that, and then you kind of turn your attention to Nick and you don't really agree with Nick. So yeah, I think by yeah. the end of it, you're like, is anybody really good in this book? <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, I can't, how do I root for anybody? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think by the end, the people you're most despised with are definitely Tom and Daisy. Yeah. Um, because while everybody else kind of has to pay penance for their wrongdoing, Tom and Daisy don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you know, Merle gets run over. Mm-hmm. Nick, you know, doesn't he end up needing like psychological help or something like that? Uh, yeah, um, something like that. And then uh, Gatsby we all dies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Shot. So Gatsby's shot because of because of Tom um, basically miss. Yeah, um, literally just some misidentification, and Jay mm-hmm. gets shot and. So then Tom and Daisy just kind of are like, oh, all right, all our problems have been taken care of. Kind mm-hmm. of. Like, mm-hmm. we still have this awful marriage, but, like, yeah. everything else has been taken care of. 
<laughs> but uh, I'll do a quick a, a couple quick numbers on the success of the work, just so everyone can understand what I meant earlier, where uh, Fitzgerald didn't get to see the great success of this work. Its original print run, they were expecting to sell about 75,000 copies, which in the 1920s is very good. Mm. Only ended up selling 20,000 at the end of its first year, which was a disappointment. Uh, You could consider it even a flop. And maybe it was just too on the nose for the time, where... People who might have been reviewing it might have, you know, not necessarily given it a great recommendation. Mm. Um, also, like, even in its first couple years, like, I think it came out in 1926, 27. Two years later, you have the beginning of the Great Depression. Mm. My guess is during the Great Depression, most people weren't buying books, and most people were probably weren't wanting to read of the good old days. You know what I'm uh. saying? Like, those were <laughs> rough times. Um... However, uh, during World War II, uh, it is said that the work received a great resurgence. They started to ship copies of it overseas to soldiers, and they shipped about 144,000 copies overseas to soldiers during World War II. I couldn't figure out why they were sending Great Gatsby over to soldiers during World War II. Mm. Um, Maybe because they thought it had a positive message on the American dream. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, They did not make it to the end. (laughs) Right? Right? Uh, But anyway, by 1960, it was selling around 50,000 copies a year. So... At by the time 1960 rolls around, this thing's doing well. Mm. As of 2013, when the newest ad- the adaptation into film, which I thought, at least of the ones I've seen, was the best adaptation into film, mm-hmm. um, there have been over 25 million copies sold of The Great Gatsby, and it is steadily selling at a pace of 500,000 copies a year. Ooh. Wow. So... Hopefully, you know, they set it up right that the Fitzgerald estate is at least getting something off of this Mm. Uh, (laughs) because we know Francis Scott was unable to reap those benefits in his life. He was he was gone before it really took off. But man. Talk about talk about a great success. Yeah, and I mean anything's going to be doing well when it is part of high school curriculum. Yeah, right. Let's say that. I wonder how much of that is. <laughs> it's amazing to me that's still selling five hundred thousand a year, mm-hmm. because we all read it in high school. So, like, I'm just curious as to who's buying this after high school, or maybe it's just a bunch of high schools are buying it every year because their copies get beat up or whatnot. But yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, when when it's part of high school reading, it's gonna sell. That's what you got to do. That's all you got to do. It's just write a book that gets into a high school reading curriculum like fifty years from now. There you go. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing that I'll say about it though. Like, I could see why it sells well year over year because I see The Great Gatsby being one of those books where maybe when you're in high school, you're focused on other things, right? You're focused on your own Gatsby esque type of lifestyle <laughs> in high school. Let's just be honest. We all want a little bit of Nick Carraway and and Jay Gatsby in our own life, right? A little bit of a little bit of romance, a little bit of love, a little bit of craziness, some parties, all of that. Mm. 
And so you're focusing on all that. And then you grow up a little bit and you think about The Great Gatsby. You're like, man, in high school, I had to go through this book and there was something special there. You know, there was something special there. Mm. I got to go back and check it out. And so maybe that's what goes through people's head. You know, you just mm. giving it a reread. Because I don't think, I don't think you can read The Great Gatsby and walk away from it like without some type of impression, right? If you paid attention. Um, even a little bit, right? Mm. Whether you liked it or not, you're gonna have some type of impression where you're you're gonna be thinking some deep thoughts. But yeah, that's just my opinion. Hey, I want to use this next section. We haven't really done anything like this um in a while. I think we've done it with a couple of them, but instead of just examining the plot and the history and all that, I figured each of us could throw some questions out there about what we what we would think would be good discussion topics around the great cats because I mean this is a great this is a great thing to talk about. But I'm going to start off with a little bit of a lighthearted one. And then if you have any that you want to throw out, you know, throw them out here, Zach, we could talk about. But hey, listen, Great Gatsby, it's definitely a respected social commentary on the lifestyle of the rich and dysfunctional. We've kind of said that. Mm. But at the same time, it's kind of a tropey summer romance story, is it not? <laughs> what do you think about that opinion? <laughs> That's funny. Um uh... Dude, I could see this being, I picture like a younger Miley Cyrus kind of movie <laughs> where she's a daisy and you've got like, a who is that guy that was in um the Twilight? Not, not Robert Pattinson. No, the other dude, the real hot guy that every, all the girls like, cause he took all the blonde guy. He took his shirt off all the time. The. The werewolf. Oh yeah, yeah, Lautner. Yeah, Lautner. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. Like he's the guy that's like the Jay Gatsby, and like okay. I, could, I could see this being like a teenage tropey summer romance because you got all the elements, man. You've got the forbidden love. You've got kind of the nerd character not that like nick's a huge nerd but like kind of the outcast character watching all this and the cool guy the real suave like fonzie kind of character like comes in and takes him under his wings like you and me man we're gonna run together and nick's like i can't resist this guy like he's so (laughs) cool and he's going after the girl and you've got like the the parties and everything i think this is this could be the start this might have been the one of the first tropey summer romance (laughs) novels maybe maybe f scott actually was like i just want to write a summer romance novel and now everyone's like this is the great american novel like we gotta get everyone in school reading this thing it's got so much to it and f scott's probably like no this is just like, this is just what happened to me one summer. I just, you know, got caught up in this weird love triangle thing going on. So, so and, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm wondering. I, I wish I would have done a little bit of more research on this question, but it just kind of popped into my mind as I was writing these notes because we look at Gatsby and we're like, wow, what an amazing story. But, like, then you look at, like, what it might have influenced and you start to think... Was this the beginning of a really bad trend? How many stories is there the rich girl 
and the not so rich guy, they have to. And how many stories use the like, you gotta meet at a party, or you gotta throw a party, mm-hmm. and to get the girl's attention. And there's always the middleman, right? The main character is always the middleman, right? You know, yeah. like, guy playing on both sides. He's like, I didn't want to get into any of this. And it's like, well, <laughs> now you're stuck, buddy. <laughs> and it's one of those things where is this a is this a story pace that that Fitzgerald was the first one to to execute? And did did he possibly start a trend? of storytelling that every romance teen romance especially kind of follows forever and to the end of time i don't know man i'm kind of i'm kind of feeling it i'm curious if there's anything that preceded gatsby that follows a similar storytelling device and always like i mean and you have it all the time right daisy the girl who's being sought after with the scumbag dude who just so happens to be cheating on her like how often is this played out it really in, reminds me of wedding stories, crashers man a lot it's wedding oh crashers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is wedding crashers almost to a t man except now he, nick if just give nick kind of a goofy like friend actually i mean nick is basically the goofy friend that like is hanging out with jordan so it, it could be i don't know it's 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 wedding uh, when, when we when we really start to make parallels, there's so many. I mean, you even see some similarities to like a movie like Superbad, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> I I just thought about that, and one thing I'll be honest about here too, just a little behind the scenes, I actually had forgotten until I got home tonight that this was my episode to prepare for some reason, like the whole entire week I was thinking this was on your list. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, this is on my list. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, some of these questions I came up with without doing like deep, deep research. But when this one came to mind, I was like, Hey, this is pretty good one because I might be onto something here. I think you are, man. (laughs) I think you can definitely make a case that this might've been the first romance story ever told or at least yeah. a trend that was started that now everyone just cookie cutters the crap out of this yeah hey and here's the thing you know if you're a teacher out there you don't have to give me credit but if you want your <laughs> students if you want your students to really engage with literature start finding things that are contemporary that basically steal whatever you're studying's approach to story, right? Just just, just straight up say, like, hey, Great Gatsby is the same plot as Wedding Crashers, and you immediately have students' interest. I promise Absolutely. you that. Absolutely. <laughs> and then start making the parallels. and Send them on over to steallakestudio.com, have them hit us up, tell us, like, hey, hey my teacher said this in class. <laughs> we'll throw hey. them on the show. Hey, and you know what? Even if you want to use this episode of the podcast in your class, go for it. I, I, We don't mind. So mm. just throwing it out there, PSA, I know that professional teachers are way better at teaching this stuff than us, but we're trying to have a good time, and we know it's tough to be the authority figure and have a good time at the same time. So if you need to just use us to be the good time guys, we'll do that for you. We are the good time guys. (laughs) We're the good time guys. (laughs) Uh, 
Do you have any? Do you have anything from like an examination from Gatsby that you might want to throw out there as like a little discussion bit? Well, I wanted to ask you. And we kind of touched mm-hmm. on this a little earlier, but do is first of all, is there a hero in this story? And then secondly, are any of the characters sympathetic, or are they all just terrible people just doing terrible things to one another? What are your thoughts? A clear-cut hero? I don't think so, because Nick Nick's in the in the closest spot because I think he really wants what's best for his cousin and his friend. Um, because he, because I, I also I don't think I don't think Nick helps Gatsby out if he doesn't know about Myrtle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's being a little too optimistic, but at at some point it's like, oh, hey, this guy Tom's kind of let me into his life that he's got a lady on the side. And in the 1920s, if you were wealthy, I don't think that was all that uncommon. I don't think it's uncommon now in in the 2020s if you're wealthy to have to have a spouse and then a girlfriend or boyfriend, which I just think is, I don't care who you are, I don't care how wealthy you are, um, if you're doing that, you're scumbag. Uh, sorry, yeah, but it's true. Um, and you know, maybe that's that's the reason why he justifies helping out. Um, I also think where Nick is kind of unimpressed with Tom, he's completely enamored with Gatsby. Yeah, so. I think his I think his level of objectivity is totally um thrown off because he just he just is mm-hmm. totally caught up into you know who Gatsby is, what he does, how he's mysterious, how he's how he's kind and wealthy at the same time is is abnormal for him to experience, but uh then Gatsby starts to kind of go crazy, right? He got he goes girl crazy. That's another trope, right? Gatsby <laughs> goes girl crazy. You can't get away from it, man. It is <laughs> like it is a summer romance. It's, it's he just goes girl crazy. Um so I don't think you can say a hero. However, I do think there's a lot of sympathetic characters. And I think the most sympathetic character is someone who not a lot of people are going to think of because it's not a main character. I think the most sympathetic character in the movie is Myrtle's husband. Mm, I knew. Um, Yeah. Now, from what I can remember, I don't necessarily think he treats her all that good. So, there's that. But, at the same time, the guy is being lied to by his wife he thinks tom is his friend and tom's you know yeah. having a relationship with his wife mm-hmm. and he's lied to and told that gatsby's the person who killed myrtle mm-hmm. and so if there's anyone who i think actions are sympathetic it's that of a man who's lost his wife, who's been lied to, misled, deceived, and fallen prey to greedy and selfish people, and he himself commits first-degree murder. And doesn't he have to go to prison for it? Yeah. I think he goes to prison in the end, right? So his life is ruined because 
of lying and selfish people. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, I, I can get on board with that. Um, pretty much that whole analysis. I think there aren't many sympathetic characters. They're all playing each other. Even Gatsby is playing Nick, even though he kind of starts to see him as his friend from the very beginning. Gatsby is just using Nick and Nick doesn't really see that he kind of does, but he's just so like you said, enamored with Gatsby and his kindness that he can't really see what he's doing is trying to break up a marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are just kind of a lot. All the characters in the book, aside from Nick are just kind of using each other and they're just, it's just this jockeying in this super wealthy community. And it is, it's hard to, root for anybody which is i think why when i first read it i liked it so much because it was such a departure from books that i had been reading especially when you read books all through high school where there's a clear-cut hero or a clear-cut main character that you're immediately sympathetic towards you get on their side you want them to win you want them to achieve their goal where in this one you don't really know, you know Gatsby's goal, but you don't really know why Nick even cares about all this, especially if he's kind of just apathetic at first to this lifestyle. But then at towards the end, I remember thinking in high school, like, man, I don't really like any of these characters. And I thought I had read mm-hmm. the book wrong at first, to be honest, because I was like, man, I must have missed something. Like, you know, it's high school. You skip a chapter here and there. Or you right. kind of skim. I'm like, I must have missed something that just like maybe Nick or someone did something good. And that's why these people are just kind of scumbags. But they're all yeah. kind of scummy people. And that's just, yeah. once again, Fitzgerald's commentary coming out even even overshadowing his his own lifestyle he still is kind of you know just uh disgusted i guess is the word with mm-hmm. with uh east egg and west egg but yeah 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 i yeah. i can definitely i get on board with myrtle's husband that guy just he's yeah. getting just screwed over by mm-hmm. really rich people and his wife is getting taken yeah. <laughs> it's just like man Poor guy. Yeah, and and I think, you know, that it does, it does also, I think that's where there's a really strong commentary provided to about the wealthy. Like, especially if you are a normal class citizen and you're enamored with the wealthy, you have this relationship between Tom and Myrtle. Myrtle thinks that she is Tom's world. But as soon as he has an opportunity to get out of that situation, he goes back to the security blanket of his wealth. He'll talk a good game. But at the end of the day, they were never going to be in love. They were never going to be exclusive. They were never going to live together. They were never going to be married. And and that's the thing where, you know, you can kind of see Fitzgerald's commentary coming out like, hey, you might be enamored with them. And you might think if a wealthy person comes into your life, all of a sudden you're their friend, but that's just not the way he saw it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yep. 
So, so I think that that's that's where not having too many sympathetic characters makes sense. Because I would say that you know I do sympathize with Nick because you know he got caught up into a situation more than sought it out. Um, so you do kind of feel bad for him in that sense, but at the same time, you know, he did take sides, right? Yeah. He he took sides and was in too deep mm. when it was too late. But I do say this, he was the only person at Gatsby's funeral, right? Like, and I think what didn't his dad come to? Yeah. Uh, Gatsby's dad came. So there is, there's that. That reality, um, oh, so- where, where you you know when he's making all those phone calls, yeah. nobody comes, mm-hmm. and it's like wow. Even in the midst of being kind of screwed over and used by this guy, the only friend he really had was a person who probably should have been mad at him. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you- yeah, and I think Gatsby knew he didn't have friends. Yeah. I think he, I, I'm trying to remember. It's been a little while since I read the book, but I'm pretty sure he acknowledges or at least alludes to at one point, just, he knows that the people coming to his parties are just using him for the parties. They just want to come and mm-hmm. have a good time. And they all talk. Yeah. About, oh, Gatsby. Have you met Gatsby? But they don't really care. They just want to come to his great party. Yeah. So, well, he walks around the party and people don't even know who he is. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's true. That is true. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I think we can do this one quick here and then we can do our last one real quick too. Um, Fitzgerald historically is said to have embraced the very lifestyle, which he is writing seems, which he seems to loathe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He loathes the lifestyle of rich and dysfunctional, but he seemed to embrace it as, you know, our research shows us. Uh, But from the outside looking in, it's easy to despise the lifestyle of the wealthy and self-centered. But for those who find themselves in that position, it seems like the greed and dysfunction of it is hard to avoid. Why do you think that is? Hmm. I think... I, I I think it comes back to that status that that success image. I think when you are outside of the the success, ah, I can't talk success image. I think when you're outside of that, it's very easy, and sometimes it's kind of an envious thing. It's an envy that like, oh, I hate them, but. Deep down, you're kind of like, I kind of wish I had some of that. Um, But I think for those like Gatsby, like Tom, like Daisy, Jordan, those who are in that dysfunctional, greedy lifestyle, either they don't really want to avoid that because I think for a person like Jordan – she doesn't really care to go back to something outside of what her lifestyle is. She enjoys it. Mm -hmm. She has some commentaries on it, but she's also like, I'm also a creature of it. So like, I'm not going to crap on it too much. Um, but I think once you're in it, it's that image of success that you're like, well now people know 
now people can see me and they want to come to my parties. They want to get to know me, even though if I, I know it's fake, like I'm still that center of attention. I'm still the person that they talk about. And I think when you're in it, you know, it's probably kind of wrong, but you're, you just enjoy it too much. Whereas it's very easy to be a Nick and judge it from the outside. But we even see like your question says, I mean, once you're, once you're in it, it's hard to get out. Nick starts on one side, gets into it and is like, I'm going to ride this out because Mm -hmm. he's, he gets smitten in a way that he didn't see coming though, where he was smitten by a gat by Jay Gatsby, who is greedy and dysfunctional, but he's kind and he cares about mm-hmm. Nick and he talks to Nick about things that aren't just surface level whimsical things like Daisy does. I I, mm-hmm. I never liked Daisy, by the way, in the book. I always thought she was a huge ditz. Um, yeah. Which I think that's on purpose. She's portrayed as that. But mm-hmm. I I never saw what Jay saw. But but Nick, he gets he's smitten by the same thing that Daisy and Tom and Jordan are all overtaken with, but just because the rich, greedy, dysfunctional person is nice, Nick kind of allows himself to be overtaken by that lifestyle. But I think once again, it all comes down to, and once again, it comes down to the image um, Nick is now in the in crowd and he's dating Jordan. So it's like, Oh, this is great. Like now I'm, I'm finding love and like yeah. talking to women and I'm going to parties and I'm doing these crazy day trips with Tom to these houses and apartments where we're just partying all day. And mm-hmm. I think, um, I think Nick starts to see that his image is increasing. His success is increasing. So he wants to be, a part of that more. Um, so yeah, I think it all kind of boils down to the image of success in that those on the outside are envious of it, even though they say they don't like it. And then those on the inside say that they like it and they're okay with the, the dirty parts of it because it's like, well, I made it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I think that's a great great commentary on it. And I think too think about how much harder it is now to not be enamored with the wealth, the parties, the lavishness. Mm-hmm. We live in a time where some of the biggest shows on TV are keeping up with the Kardashians, the real housewives shows, mm-hmm. you know, and then social media is this whole other platform. I mean, Instagram is got a whole section of where it basically Instagram, you could look at it as being a whole keeping up with the Joneses type of social media. And Mm. even whether or not you're being directly competitive with people or not, you are judging your own lifestyle based on what you see in photos and videos and all of that. It's hard not to, right? Even for the most secure and stable of people, right? It's hard not to look and be like, oh man, they, they look like they really got it good. You know, I just, if I just had a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's the, the sense of, you know, lack of contentment as well as thinking that certain things are going to bring you happiness. I think one of the things that 
you know, we didn't talk about in high school or anything and that I kind of noticed on my last read through is that Daisy and Tom have a daughter who they're portrayed to like never spend time with. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? I forgot about that. Yeah. And so see you, even you as a reader forgot about it because, <laughs> because the focus, the focus of those two is so much on, you know, the life that they have. They haven't embraced the fact that they are a family. They continue to live as individuals with a lot of money who have, images to keep up and Mm -hmm. you know all these things that they want to do right and so as they're planning their day to go to the city and their day to go to the beach or this or that the other thing their daughter's never part of the plan it's always part of the plan to just leave her with the nannies and just just go right and so so that's another thing too that (laughs) when you have that kind of money to have to have a staff to raise your children Mm. maybe you just take it for granted that like oh no you're you're actually supposed to be doing these things and (laughs) And so there's that trickle down effect, right? Where you not only are maybe causing your own parental responsibilities to be in jeopardy, but also getting your child comfortable with like, hey, this is just the way you live life. Yeah. And I don't know. That's just something I noticed the last read through I had. I could be overlooking it, right? Because of course they're not doing a play by play of Daisy and Tom's parenting. But from my perspective, they seem to be very comfortable with not having anything to do with their daughter, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right? like, like there is a, there is a scene in there where, you know, you know, Daisy interacts with her daughter and it's very much like, oh, I finally have time to talk to you type of deal. And, you know, she gets like her five, 10 minutes of playtime and then she goes back with the nannies or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I th- I found that to be a very telling thing, right? And and while she's running off with Gatsby and stuff, like who's taking care of the kid, right? You know, <laughs> like uh, the more you the more you read this <clears throat> as you get older, the more you pick up on stuff like that. Like I would never yeah. picked up on that reading that in high school. That yeah, you, you kind of knew they were neglecting their kid a little bit, but I still always like, well, they're with the nanny. That's just what they did. Like, I mean, when you read Victorian era, uh books or whatnot kids are always just kind of out of the picture <laughs> like they're never obviously they're always just getting taken care of by somebody right. so i never thought of anything like like oh yeah she's like around kind of but mm-hmm. they're not really taking care of her yeah all right we will um we'll do this last one and then maybe we can weave in our initial uh impressions and lasting impact with it as well um Gatsby's been tagged as the great American novel. I think as we get further and further away from the historical setting that the story takes place in, it's going to be, I, I, do you think that people, young people today are still going to read it and feel that same way? What do you think? Ooh. Mm. I think, I mean, this is gut reaction. I think kids, will probably see this a little differently growing up. I I know when I read it, and this is kind of my initial impact as well, is when I read it, I loved it because I thought it was so cool to read about, and I know it's a fictional story, but just the these ridiculously wealthy people in their crazy lives. I thought it was really, really fascinating. Um... I would be lying if I didn't say I kind of wanted to be 
a little bit like Gatsby or a little bit like Buchanan's just, you know, to have that freedom, to have that like lake shore or channel, whatever they lived on setting where they just maybe not so much the parties, but it's got a little bit of just like the hanging out, the, the, the extremity of their lives. I kind of was enamored with and I I think that was a big reason why I loved it. I also loved the book because it was one of the easier books that we had to read. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. bogged down with really dense language and whatnot. But I think I think kids nowadays when they read it, especially because of our political landscape and what's been going on with our country and the world and the whole um you know, wealth gap and everything. I think people are going to see this as like, well, look what these rich people do. They just like, they don't even care about the poor people like Myrtle and her husband. And like, they Mm -hmm. use them. That's all they're good for is they just use them. And I, I mean, I think Fitzgerald was saying that a little bit. I did. It definitely was a theme he was dealing with. Um, but Mm -hmm. I think it'll, it'll get taken more to the extremes with kids that are reading it nowadays to, not so much. This is what happens when just kind of crappy people get together and <laughs> they just don't really care about anything but themselves to that's all true. Plus this is what happens when money gets involved. And yeah, I, I, I think it definitely will. I think they'll, they won't appreciate it. I'm going to say that. I don't think they'll appreciate it as much as, how we appreciated it. Yeah. 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 And I would say, I don't want to be too pessimistic. I think that, I think the discussions around Gatsby mm. are timeless. Um, I know that that's, that's a powerful thing to say, but we're looking at almost being a hundred years old at this point. And there's a lot of parallels between the wealthy lifestyle in the 20s and the wealthy lifestyle now. I mean, and the thing that's, I think the thing that's scariest about today is like we are getting more and more comfortable with self self-elevation mm-hmm. and thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to because you know now we have a generation of kids who are growing up comfortable always being on camera always having their photos taken always making videos like I might sound old school but when my kids start making videos of themselves like they're gonna post it online and stuff I'm like guys we're not doing this <laughs> you guys you guys can go outside and play you don't need to have a camera on. Like, I understand you see other kids do this, but go be a kid, Mm. you know, like don't try and go viral. Don't try and do this. And maybe, maybe that's, you know, boneheaded of me to say, but, but at the same time, like, I think the lesson of Gatsby is very much like the, obviously is a commentary on wealth, but it's also a commentary on just complete and utter obsession with self gratification yeah. 
right? You care about your own gratification above all things. Like Gatsby cared so much about getting Daisy and having her love that he became a criminal, became wealthy off of being a criminal, and then was willing to destroy a marriage <laughs> to just have Daisy in his life to prove something. Yeah. Where before that, when he was in the army, and when he was taught how to be a gentleman by, I can't remember the name of the sailor, I can't remember Wolf? his name, who like... Was it huh? Wolf? Wasn't that the Navy? That's that's the bad, that's guy. The bad guy. That's the bad uh, guy, yeah. Um, the dude's name. Uh, that's, the, that's his like... To do that contact. Yeah, make all the money. Yeah. And and it's one of those things where it's like, man, he became a gentleman and then in order to get wealthy, he took the wrong path. You know, like sometimes when you care so much about yourself, you're gonna do something selfish and something stupid, and maybe you won't have to pay consequences for it right away, but you eventually will. It'll catch up to you. Money doesn't matter. Money can't get you out of some of the worst of the worst mistakes, right? Eventually, it'll collapse. It's a house of cards. And, you know, one of, one of the things I think is a lesson that could be learned from kids going forward. And my initial impact of this was just how my initial impact was always like, wow, like you can read something awesome in school. Like that was my first impression of this yeah. book. Like finally, finally something in, in a class where it was deep, mm. where you learned a lot, where you were challenged, but you got to the end of it. And I felt rewarded. I felt rewarded going through Gatsby even though there were some chapters I skimmed in some sections I, you know, maybe should have paid more attention to, I was engaged enough to go back and read it as an adult mm. and to have a total love and appreciation for the story. Yeah. And and that's also the lasting impact of it. Like, this is a book where when my kids end up reading it in high school, I'm going to be excited about. I'm going to be excited to talk to them about. And maybe they won't be as excited to talk to me about it, but... I think it I think it means something to kids when their parents at least are engaged and excited about what they're doing in school. Um yeah. and, and so I look forward to that. But as far as the this being the great American novel, I still think it it has a contemporary application. Mm. I mean, maybe you look at hey, when when you care more about being famous on social media than you do being a good friend to the people around you, there could be consequences. Yeah. You know, when you when you care more about, you know, being the next great influencer or the next great streamer and you're willing to assassinate your character to do so, that's not the way to do it. Mm. Um, and if you're willing to do that, you probably don't deserve it. Um Unfortunately, what we learn with Gatsby is that there's a lot of people who get the wealth and the power who don't deserve it. Mm. And so you can either have it with integrity or not. Yeah. And and that's where you're challenged forever and always by the great Gatsby. Nice, man. Yeah. Oh, man. I You know, I think, I think we've said all we need to say on this for today. What do you think, Zach? I think if there's a high schooler out there listening to this podcast because they got to write a paper. You got some good stuff, kid. You got some good yeah. stuff. And you could use any and everything. You have our permission, no plagiarism or anything like that. Go for mm -hmm. it. Write it down go verbatim. I don't even care. 
or I mean, at least at least sites do Lake Studio, so your teacher <laughs> will head over to the website and maybe check out Nightmare at the Fair and yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> just hop on that newsletter, <laughs> hop on the newsletter. You know, we are we are we are going to take the opportunity to advertise a little bit on yeah, that. So, yeah. uh, hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Seriously, you all are the best. We for somehow some way more and more people are downloading this every week and you guys are the best we uh we are getting into a point in the stretch of these episodes where i can say the next six weeks i'm just super pumped about i said i was going to post the list of everything that was going to come and i just remembered that right now so i will do that i will do that as soon as this episode goes live so steelakestudio.com um i will have it on the I'll have it on the homepage right under the Parallel Quest tab of everything that's coming and what the schedule is. But I'm looking forward to this. We we got uh we're wrapping up Classics month month here in January. And uh I'll just go over the list with everyone. Wrapping up Classics months here in January with uh Great Gatsby and then we're going to go contemporary next week. We are going to be looking at the Chamber of Secrets. Hey, uh- the second installment of Harry Potter. We are ready for you, Potterheads. We are ready uh, to talk about Chamber of Secrets and how I saw this movie too many times in the theater, although I referenced that back in Treasure Island. I'll, I'll reference it again. Yeah. And then we will be talking about our nostalgic perspectives on Mario 64. Ready Player One. Gotta get it. In. God of War. And then Zelda Majora's Mask. So this is going to be February's looking like video game nerd month. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and Zach has uh, typed in our show notes here for January. I've never seen January spelled like this before. <laughs> I, I, saw, I thought you did that. So. <laughs> it's J0A0. Newary. So something happened there. In the <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, you guys have uh, a fantastic day. Hope you guys have a very blessed night, and we will talk to you next time on Parallel Quest. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.